run at it shouting. Dooski says, run at it shouting. Thank you. And we're fortunate enough to have um, Heather here from the charity, who's just going to say a few, a few words about the charity to everyone. Over to you, Heather. Great. Thank you very much, Charlie, and everybody, Emma, and everyone. Um, so just to, first of all, thank you all very much for uh, coming along and giving me a moment to speak to you. And for those of you who've donated, thank you very much indeed. Um, char the charity, Naya, we have been working on violence against women and girls since 1975. Our headquarters is in, on the Islington Hackney border, and the bulk of our work covers uh, North and East London. Although in some areas we're pan-London and in other areas we have a more national reach. Uh, we support between 1,500 and 2,000 women and girls a year who are experiencing male violence and we have a range of different services. So we have um, services around sexual violence, so we have East London Rape Crisis which includes young women's advocates, counselling, play therapy, advocacy, casework and support through the criminal justice process for the rare cases that actually manage to get through the courts. Uh, domestic violence, we again have um, a lot of uh, casework, advocacy, one-to-one -one support with women. Um, and then we also have specialist refugees, which are quite unusual. So refugees generally are for women in, and, and often children experiencing or running away from violence, but there are a number of women who have um, very complex needs and they've faced multiple disadvantages. They may well be involved in prostitution or trafficking or other forms of sexual exploitation. They may well be coping with a legacy of trauma and abuse by um, using uh, harmful practices like uh, self-harm, self-cutting, uh, food problems, uh, problematic substance and alcohol use. Um, and they may well almost all, all have men. Um, uh, because their needs are too high when the other women in the refuge may have children or whatever. We also support, specifically support, ring fence uh, faces, faces for women from uh, migrant and BME communities who may have insecure immigration status and no recourse to public funds. And then in addition to that, um, we also have specialist services for women involved in prostitution and trafficking who are trying to exit, which is a very difficult, long and slow process. And then we have some, um, as well as advocacy and strategy meetings that we do with various central government departments, we have a research department. And in the research department, we're currently uh, producing the femicide census, um, which collates all the women killed by men and the circumstances of that with a view to identifying patterns and trends and early intervention opportunities. So it's quite a, a big operation in forms of violence against women. Within all of that, we and we work well in partnership with other specialist organisations like um, Southport Black Sisters in particular and other specialist BME organisations. So I could go on all night, as you can probably tell, uh, enough to say uh, we really appreciate any support. Thank you, Heather. Honestly, thank you for all your services and everything. And thanks for giving us that. That was really wonderful. Um, OK, Amit, is it OK to get started? I can see some Let's hands. Let's go for it. Yes. Liam. Yes. Thank well, you. Uh, Senio. Hi, it's Luquesa. I'm using my sister's computer. But um, hi, Emma. Hi, how are you? I'm good, thank you. I'm from Botswana. So hey. yes, yes, Dumela Ma. Yes. United Kingdom, shout out. I wanted to know when you were starting out your journey towards directing, 
what was the moment you realized that you could do it, that you could create your own content and direct without feeling like you had the imposter syndrome or questioning yourself? Luquesta, did you say your name was? Yes. Luquesta, I, I genuinely don't know whether imposter syndrome ever goes away. Okay. I, I, you know, I have a, a saying, you know, I say make it your friend um, and disempower it in that way. Um, I unfortunately um, did not exist in a world where I saw women directors. I mean, as a young, many of you will know that I started acting as a child and that's how I entered the industry um, and was on a regular television series at the time. I had, in all the directors that I had, I only ever in that career had one female director. Wow. Um, later on, um, you know, when I moved into writing, still relatively early, I was in my very early 20s when I moved into writing, I saw female producers, but not writers. And, um, uh, sorry, not directors, I should say, sorry. And I, I, um, never saw any black directors. Mm. Um, much later on, I learned about um, Ngozi Awaru, who is the, you know, the first British um, black um, woman to direct a feature film. Um, and literally I became the second. So I learned about her later, but it, 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 the, 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 the idea that it was something that was possible for me, unfortunately did not exist. There was no Emma at the time in a way, if that made sense. And so what happened was, uh, I, as you know, I got into the business as a writer. Um, I was, uh, you know, I had two series of, um, of a TV show on that I kind of fell into out of naivety mm -hmm. in many ways. Um, I was so naive that I said to the BBC, you know, if you really would like to commission me to do this, then you should let me do it through my own production company. And they said, okay, then. And I was like, oh, what do I do now? <laughs> how do I produce a show? And um, so we made two series of that and that led to me writing my first feature film. I was looking for a director. You know, I spoke to Stephen Frears, I spoke to all kinds of, um, you know, all of the, 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 the British directors who looked the way that I thought directors looked. And then one of my film financers said, actually, we'd like you to stop all this. We'd actually like you to direct it yourself. And so um, in my particular situation, somebody had the faith that I did not have. Mm. And at that particular time, I actually said no. I said no because I felt that having not seen anybody who was a mirror image of me in any way, I felt that this wonderful thing that I had written, which was A Way of Life, um, my first film, that I would ruin it. I would, I would come with all of my lack of experience and all of my inability and my lack of capability and my lack of skills, and I would ruin it. So, uh, you know, as you know, from history, I did make that film, you know, they did persuade me to make it. I did make that film. One of the early awards that I won for that film was a BAFTA award. And even at that particular point, uh, I still found it very difficult to call myself a writer and a director. I was still calling myself a writer only. Um, I would probably say it was Maybe once Bell was out in cinemas in the US mm -hmm. and the US was sort of really, you know, embracing this film with, with such a sort of, um, you know, with such positivity that I sort of started to think, well, you know, maybe, maybe I am good at this. Maybe I am. Maybe I can call myself a director. Um, I, I never stopped questioning myself, though. I never stopped questioning my capabilities. I never stopped questioning my own audacity. And I don't, I don't actually venture into a project unless there is audacity attached to it unless 
uh, there are going to be a lot of people out there saying, well, who on earth does she think she is taking that on? It is a prerequisite for mm -hmm. me um, to have audacity attached to what I do. But with that audacity, of course, comes fear. And with fear comes courage. And, 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 and so that's how I move forward. I'm sorry that it was such a long answer to your question, but it was, it's, it was a difficult one because I didn't, as I said, didn't have that um, immediate role model. And when I found her, I was already on my way to, to, to making films. So a massive shout out to Ngozi. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you, Amma. You're Thank welcome. you, Kelly. Uh, Joe. Hello. Hi, Joe. I can't see you, but I Hi. but I hear you, and you sound wonderful. <laughs> Thank you. I'm all warmed up. I'm ready. Um, Good. Firstly, I just want to say, I think your passion is so inspiring, and and that comes from a, a real honest place. Like you know, your TED talks and your films, and the way you you're talking to us about you know having audacity and imposter syndrome and things like that. It's quite nice to hear, isn't it? That people you look up to have that as well so thank, thank you, you. <laughs> I, I appreciate that thank you um my question is it's about casting like what what do you look for obviously having been an actor you know how actors can be in audition rooms and it, it, what what's something that makes people stand out or makes someone you know click with you yeah that's a good question actually um so first and foremost, you know, at this point, um, I'm, I'm always using a casting director. With my first film, I used a casting director who, you know, whittled, you know, shortlisted a lot. But I would say um, for the part of Leanne Williams in, in A Way of Life, we auditioned at least a thousand young women. Um, and I saw them, <laughs> all thousands. At this point now, um, you know, I work with different casting directors, but one casting director that I've worked with, you know, a few times, Toby Whale, um, kind of knows my taste. You know, he'll sit and have a conversation with me about what it is I'm looking for. Um, and, and, then, um, and then, you know, eventually we'll spend, you know, weeks quite often auditioning for a particular part i'm thinking say like somebody like james norton in bell the role you know when we were auditioning yeah. that for that role what am i looking for i'm i'm looking for someone who in the audition room will take direction so when you know they'll do their first read for me and then i'll make adjustments to to what they're doing um, and I want to feel that by the next time they do it, there's a difference that they've listened, they've heard. Sometimes that means there's a small conversation, you know, they ask questions, which I'm all, I'm, you know, I'm, all, I welcome. Um, I can see right through people asking questions for the sake of asking questions. So, you know, ask genuine questions, you know, authentic questions that really are going to make a difference to the, the way that you do it the, the, on the next pass. Um, I, I want to work with nice people. I've just got to the age now. I just don't like working with nasty people. I don't like working with difficult people. If you're difficult, yeah. you, you, you may be rewritten. rewritten. That's, that's, that's the joy of being a writer and a director. I can rewrite you. Um, so, well, I so I talking about George Mackay and, you know, everyone says how lovely he is and he's obviously brilliant, but it was nice to hear that 
That's George Mackay will work for the rest of his life based on the fact that he is a, a, an incredible talent and a beautiful soul, an absolutely beautiful soul. Um, he is um, a really, uh, a really giving actor. He's he's very. Um, He's very um, thorough and Charlie and I were talking before we, we went live about, you know, the power of research and, and George will do his own research, even when it's um, uh, just for an audition. When I auditioned him for Where Hands Touch, he, it was actually a self-tape. So he didn't come into the room. He was, I wasn't able to give him adjustments to make. But what George did was, did was he went, he was in Spain working on something else and he went and found himself um, an actress that could he could read opposite and he blocked the scene and you know he basically moved around you know his little set that he had created for himself and recorded himself doing it with the actress and um, together they were brilliant so I would say you know doing your research taking taking um, direction from the director you know you know being yourself but making sure that yourself is a good person because it, you know a lot of us nowadays don't want the hassle of working with people who are difficult I really go out of my way to be um as open and as uh, and you know as kind as I can be that doesn't mean that there aren't tensions on set and there isn't pressure on set you know everybody feels that um but but but, but, but trying to be respectful of the people that you're working around, I think, is a really important thing. You know, arriving on set on time, um, coming out of your trailer on time, being respectful of the time of your director and your crew, being good to crew, always get points, um, is, is, is a really important thing. Um, so I think it's all the things that you probably know by instinct, Joe, in many ways. Um, what makes a great actor, a good actor great, I think, is someone who is unself-aware and can lose themselves in a role. So I can always tell when an actor is reading a part that is sort of hanging on to a piece of themselves. I want to know that you step over that line and you lose yourself in the character. And I really think that makes a difference from, um, you know, that, that takes you from a very good performance to a great performance. Lose that self-awareness, you know? Yeah, lovely. Thank you. That's great. You're welcome. Thank You're you welcome. so much. You are welcome. Timothy. Yeah, you're unmuted, Timothy. Oh, okay, we'll come back to you, mate. Nicole. Hello, lovely Hi, to Nicole. meet you. Lovely thank you so much. I, uh, thank you so much for doing this, it's great. Um, Sort of a big thank you from me in terms of your stance on diversity. Um, I think it's like a really important conversation and I hope with people like you leading the way we can really make positive impact like this year. Um, my question is sort of what would you suggest to actors and writers who are new what what advice would you give about combating the industry right now? It's it's a really um, good question. Um, you said actors and writers, didn't you? Yeah. I think one of the key things that's very very different to when I was starting out in the industry is um, the level of access that all all of us have now to devices and actually even to distribution platforms. And I know that, you know, we all want to make it to the big time. We all want to be on a network or, you know, on a cinema screen. But many of the great people that we love, like Issa Rae and people like that, 
you know, started off with things like web series. And one of the reasons why I stopped acting was because way back then when we didn't have all of, well, A, because I was rubbish, let's just be clear about that. But also, um, and I'm a much better director, so it's not that I'm doing myself down, I'm a better writer and a better director than I ever was as an actress. But we didn't have access to all of the things that exist today. And so that alongside the sort of inequalities that we know about in the industry just made it extremely difficult. And I felt very disempowered I had to wait for the phone to ring before I could be creative and I wanted to be creative every single day. Today you can pick up your phone, you can pick up your iPad if you're very bold and keyword, word of the night, audacious. You can even write to, you know, facilities, houses and companies and those who, you know, might lend you a camera for the weekend if you're very, very responsible and you can prove that you can be that way. And you can shoot and you can edit on your device at home. You can edit on your computer. You can edit on your iPad. And guess what? You can even put your work out there. And so whether you're an actor, whether you're a writer, I would say make sure that you surround yourself with like-minded people. So it's really important to surround yourself with the kind of people that you would like to be like. So, you know, go to events, you know, if they're in the theatre, go watch them in the theatre, you know, if, if it's if you panel sessions, all of that. But also surround yourself with peers, people who also want to create content and also want to create stories. I always say if you're a if you're a writer, you know, find somebody who's got time in a few weeks time and wants to act. Find a director who needs to create their calling card and wants to direct something, you know. Go on Instagram and be careful, make sure you're talking to who you should be talking to, but find someone who is a great production designer, a great stylist in costume drama, and get together over a couple of weekends and put your story together and shoot it. And when you shoot it, put it up on YouTube, use it as a calling card, watch the kind of um, shows that you love and, and, and work out when you're watching the end credits, who are the producers, who are creating the kind of content that you love, like follow them, find them on social media if you have to. If they're not on social media, read the interviews that they, 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 they write and listen to, to, to what they say. And at some point, you will have something of the quality that you know you can send to them. And, and quality is important. It doesn't have to be perfect, but you know, don't, don't send them your first ride at the rodeo if you know you haven't had a chance to edit it and it's three hours long but you know send them something that's reasonable maybe you don't want to put it up on youtube there are a lot of film festivals that are giving you know money and great prizes um for first time and second time filmmakers so don't if you want to go into a film festival don't put your piece of work up on youtube because oftentimes what these what these festivals want are world premieres um if you're an actor look for those those, those, those peers of yours who are writing, who are directing and say, hey, I'm available, I, you know, and I will work for free this weekend. And look, I get it, we, we cannot all work for free. We've got to keep roofs over our heads. But ultimately, this is an industry that's hard for everybody. Guess what, even when you're white and male, it's still difficult. It, it really is difficult for everybody. It becomes even harder for us when we're women and when we're of color. And so what you have to do really is a bit of speculating to accumulate. It means some work early on might mean you, you are not paid what you will be paid if you make it later on in your career. And the other thing I would say for actors is don't be afraid of theatre. Don't be afraid of community theatre. Don't be afraid of local theatre. Anything that can platform you where you can write to casting directors or have someone record you 
and, and be able to send the work that you've done, the talent that you've had, proof of the talent that you've got to them is, 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 is an opportunity and it's an opportunity that shouldn't be missed. So, you know, if I'm trying to sort of summarize what I'm saying, I'm saying don't wait for the door to open from the outside because it can't. You've got to be the one who gets out there and, and, and does it and you've got to find your opportunities. I swear to you, no one, not even an agent is always going to find them for you. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Um, Paula. You all right, Paula? Yeah. Uh, I've unmuted you. Uh, have you? Oh, hello. Hi, Paula. Hi. Lovely, lovely, lovely to have a woman director to speak to. Pretty amazing. Oh, I'm glad. I'm glad. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, just, I'm just interested, really. Um, as a, as a woman director, is it a different vibe for you out, out there in the big world of directing? Is it sort of a different thing? Do you get different reactions? I mean, I sort of think, when I think about how I would do something, I'm sure I would be doing it differently to how a man would do it, because we think differently and experiences and everything else would be different. So do you think there is a big difference between the two? I think that it's, uh, on the one hand, it's difficult to know because if you've only ever been in this experience, it's really, really hard to sort of um, compare. And the one thing about directors is that we very rarely see each other work. Um, we are usually the only one on our set. And even with something, say like Mrs. America or Handmaid's Tale, I'm not necessarily on the set with the director that's doing the episodes before or after me. I, it's something I used to try and do quite a lot because it's really interesting to see how other people work. But here's what I would say. Tell me your name again, sorry. Paula. 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 Here's what I would say. The brilliant thing about creativity and the brilliant thing about all of us is that we kind of, we have this universal kind of connection with each other, but we're all individuals. And so even when you get two men, they direct differently. It's just the way that it is. And so, and, and, and the reality and the power of that is that we all have, a, a, a unique gaze through which we see the world and that's what's really important that's what our vision is that's what that's what will differentiate you from me and me from you yeah, yeah. so the so even if we could be divided into you know different groups as male and female the reality is even within those groups there's going to be a heck of a lot of difference and thank god for that to be perfectly honest with you if you gave the scripts i've written to um, a different director, I can assure you, you would have a different film because the gaze through which they would see that world would be, would be slightly different. And it's not better, it's not worse, it's just different. And I think that's what we pay for when we go to the movie theatre or when we pay our subscription to Netflix or when, we, when we're seeing something that doesn't feel generic, doesn't feel like it's been done a thousand times before. It's because some individual has actually taken confidence and sort of leaned into their own individual gaze and said, my gaze has value and guess what? I think other people will be interested because they'll be able to identify with it, but it will be different enough yeah. um, to, to, to stimulate and engage the mind. And so it, 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 I dare say you're right. It, it, it probably is different. I, I, just, yeah, I direct different actors differently because no two actors are the same. Yeah. Um, none of my sets have ever, ever been the same. You know, no two projects have ever been the same in terms of filming either. And that's partly what I love about it is that I'm constantly, you know, I'm constantly challenged by the different actors I work with. I'm constantly challenged by the different worlds that I create in my scripts. I'm constantly challenged by 
um, <laughs> the different budgets and the different schedules. And I think that that's something to lean into and, um, and appreciate. And um, you didn't say that you were worried about, but for anyone who is not really worry about, not really think about, it's most important to think about what it is that you bring to it and, and why it is that, 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 that you should know it has value. Yeah, so I'm, so I'm doing I'm doing a course to directing director's course, and I'm yeah. visually impaired. So this course is all for people with visual impairment. Right. So, and because it because it makes I sort of feels like I sort of feel like I'm mostly going to be a bit on the back foot a little bit. So is, have you ever felt that way? I, I yeah, every day I feel that way. <laughs> every day I feel like I, I I'm on a back foot. But what I would say to you is this: that how amazing that we could get to see content by you yeah, yeah. how amazing that you could take us for half an hour or an hour or for two hours um on a walk through your gaze your individual gaze how how much have you got to show us and teach us that we've either taken for granted or just live in our own echo chambers and we haven't really yeah. thought about how many windows on the world that we live in can you open for us in a new way yeah. all of that is fantastic all of that is brilliant so i say yeah you're right you're right uh, this is a really unequal shitty fucking world sometimes but i would say lean into the differences that you think you have that you believe you have and that and perhaps maybe you do have but understand you are no less of a human being than I am. You have a story to you, you have a story to tell. You have stories to tell, and they have value, and we want to hear them. So, you'll hear no. You'll hear no often. Make no your friend. Yeah. Push through that and understand you have a value in your stories. And regardless of how many times you hear no, always remember that there is an audience that when you push through that, that barrier is, is just sitting here waiting, waiting for your stories. I know I am. Yeah, right. Thank you very much. You're Thank welcome. You. Thank you. You're Thank welcome. You. Yasmin. I'm Sorry, got confused. Hi. Hi. Um, thank you so much. Like, I, I love your film. A Way of Life was so powerful and gritty and amazing. And um, yeah, and I, I've, I've loved Belle since it came out and um, United Kingdom. So thank um, you. Thank you. Um, one, my question um, was mainly a research question. Mm -hmm. um, when you're approaching historical events, um, like like I, I read about how Bell um, originally discovered through a painting, and and I'm just interested in how do you um, take ownership and build worlds as a director and as a writer um, when a lot of that history is getting lost, and and how do you even begin? to fill in the gaps and, and how do you go on that journey with your material and bring it to the screen? I think there has to be, obviously um, imagination is a, is a big part of tying together the, the, the historical um, and factual stuff that you find, um, but you have to build out your world. So if you take a character like Belle, um, there was the information that we had um, and, and just to run that past you really quickly, um, one of the you know one of the greatest pieces of information that I had, aside from 
um, the painting itself was this diary entry by the governor of Mass I think he was the governor of Massachusetts. Um, his name was Hutchinson, who came to visit Lord Mansfield and um, spent an evening with the Mansfield family. And that night wrote in his diary, you know, he has this Negro woman that he keeps in his home and she was not allowed to have dinner with, with, with um, the family, but she, she was dressed, you know, like the rest of the family and, you know, in jewels and silks. And she took air, meaning she walked with the, with, with the family in the garden afterwards. And so that was, a, you know, a second piece of crucial information that we had to sort of, you know, that I had really to kind of really solidify the fact that Dido Bell didn't sit with the rest of her family um, when they had company, but she was in other ways, in other ways treated as an equal. Well, from the, so we understand that about her as a black woman. And then we understand her aunt, the character that Penelope Wilton played, and we understand that she was an older woman and she wasn't married. So for me, I wanted to understand if, 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 if I created a situation in which um, Dido Bell was, was, was stopped from being married, which is a situation I did create in the film, then what, what, who would she grow up to be? And as a wealthy woman, what would that mean for her? So my studies in feminism and gender and my research in all of that, you know, went on and on and on and on because I wanted to understand who she was as a woman and who she was as a black person. And so once you, 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 you really dig in, and I think some of you might have heard me mention that I like to go back 100 years in my research. I like to know exactly how we got to the position that we're in today. And a great way to do that is to go back 100 years. But once you do all of that and you start to really build out your sort of, it's not really generic research. It's saying these are the characters in my, in, in, in my story. You know, Lord Mansfield is a character in my story. Okay, we knew a lot about him, but let's say we find a character that, we, we, we don't know so much about how do we find a bit more out about what their circumstances would be and how does how can I then turn that into elements of story that would be right for the time we can't prove they happen specifically to this character but they don't sit outside of an experience that could have happened to that character so as I was doing my research um on Dido Bell, both as a woman, which also then encompassed my research for her cousin, um, Elizabeth as well. I also was doing my research on what it meant to be free and black at the time. And it was at that point that it really struck me. And so I wrote the line, you know, it struck me that um, Dido Bell was free twice, both as a woman and as a Negro. And right in that statement, you've hit the intersection of what it is to be both of those things. And I thought it, so I gave her the line. Um, and, and, and so, you know, a lot of you goes into this stuff that you're writing, but it can't all be you. It has to be based on what the likelihoods are and the possibilities are for that period. And then you create, you, sorry, you curate the information that works for you. So when I have Dido Bell self-harming in front of the mirror, the first time you see her in front of the mirror, I thought to myself, wow, if I didn't have a mother who looked like me, and I didn't have a father who, alongside her, who gave me all of the guidance that he gave me and who didn't tell me um, like Lord Mans like, um, like her, her real father does before he leaves her with Lord Mansfield, know that you are loved. If I wasn't able to feel that every day in the way that I was um, growing up and I was the only person like me in a family, 
that loved me but didn't know the right way to love me all the time. Who might I be at 18 years old? Well, I might be somebody who might self-harm, maybe. I'd never seen it in an Austin S drama before, even though this wasn't Austin, this was me. I'd never seen it in an Austin S piece before. And because I was already doing something that was sort of subversive, I was actually looking at, um, I was asking in this film to, for us to cast our eye on the world that financed the Jane Austen families that we saw, which was slavery. Because I was already doing something that was sort of forbidden in many ways in Austin S dramas, um, which was say, let's look at the hard edge of this. It felt right that I should also show her self-harming in front of the mirror. So I think it's about being brave, it's about being courageous, it's about doing your due diligence and making sure that you do all of the research that you can and using all of those things together to kind of pad up your imagination, knowing that it sits within a framework in which you're not just sort of making up something because it, it feels good, but because it sits within a framework where it could have always happened. I really hope that's helpful. That was massively helpful, thank you so much. Good. Rebecca. Hi, Amma. Uh, so good to see you. Um, I mean, you know I love Belle. I just <laughs> love it so much. It means so much personally, and thank you for being here. Um, but my question is about, um, there's been a debate recent, uh, more recently, I would say, um, about British actors mm -hmm. performing um, particular um, African-American roles like um, David Oyelo in um, Selma or um, Daniel Kaluuya and Jodie Turner-Smith and Queen and Slim. And I'm wondering, um, as a director, how do you approach, like, what is your story to tell, um, especially within marginalized communities? Um, maybe talking about your work on, like, Mrs. America and Shirley Chisholm, um, and also might how that work um, vice versa. So, like, if um, me as an American woman of color wants to tell a story um, about the UK or something, um, how might that work or what's the respectful way to go about that? Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting. I mean, first and foremost, one of the reasons why this, this question is even a question is because there has been so little storytelling that has been outside the default existence, right? The default ex existence being, you know, you know, basically white and male. I think the first character I can remember in film was John Wayne. And so, and, and that's not by, by accident. And I think that when we arrive in a place where, um, where um, like can match like in terms of directing and performing talent, we will have less concern about who tells whose stories. But right now there's an important, there's definitely an important dialogue that must be had and is being had about who gets to tell whose stories and, and, and what ownership means. The way that I look at it, um, personally and I think that I think that whilst as directors we, we all have to make choices um, and you know and making the right choice um, in some circumstances is easier than other circumstances for instance you know if you were a, um, if you're a, if you're if you're if you're not trans and you choose to take a trans role I mean I guess there are lots of questions that you have to ask yourself um, when I recently told a story, as many of you will know, about an Afro-German girl 
um, growing up uh, under under Hitler in Nazi Germany. And um, Amanda Stenberg played that role and she wasn't Afro-German and I'm not Afro-German. Um, but I was living and am living an exist in an existence where the majority of stories that are told historically um, about people of color tend to be a, a, this very, very narrow, narrow and limited um, avenue within African-American history. And we all know that there's much more to African-American history than we've been given access to. And so I was desperate to learn more about people like me who are um, of African heritage, but raised in Europe. Uh, what is the Afro-European experience? What is the history of the Afro-European experience? And so, though I'm not Afro-German specifically, um, and I hadn't seen an Afro-German story from that period on, on, I felt that it was okay for me to research and explore, and if I managed to get my film off of the ground to be able to tell that story. There is a weird um, reality that comes with all of that, which is that in order to tell that story, you have to get it financed. And in order to get your movie financed, you often have to have people in it that the financers want to finance. And so whilst you might want to um, have a situation like I did with my first movie where you can just say, you know, I'm just going to go to, you know, a person who could play this role that's exactly from the community that I'm, you know, creating this story about. Um, there's a reality that, that that can't always happen. You can, you can be wanting that for the rest of your life and then just not able to tell your story. So I think what has become important for me is to be able to get myself into a position where my name alone can finance a movie. Because when I can be in a position where my name alone can finance a movie, I can pick any actor I want um, to be able. And I can pick actors who are exactly from the world and the community and not have to go, you know, cap in hand as we do at the moment to financiers. In relation to actors taking on those roles, you know, when I was um, in my 20s, actually there were African-Americans who, um, who were playing roles um, that were British. Um, and, and at that time, I don't think we were asking as nuanced questions as we're asking now. Um, I can remember, and I feel really, really bad. I'm thinking of a movie called Queen and Country, and I'm thinking about, oh, I'm thinking about Denzel Washington um, coming over and playing a, a British soldier in, in that movie. And, and there'd be no uproar about that whatsoever, because as we say, the questions were less nuanced and the fact was he was black and we were happy that a story was being told about, a, with a, you know, with a black character at its center. And, and we ran with that. So what I will say is this, I think it says something that we've come to a place now where we can have these nuanced conversations. It means that we've arrived in a place where, where our stories are seen as nuanced. Now, they might not be on screen as much as we need them to be on screen and the, you know, the, the, the journey for that still continues, but that we can start to have those very, very specific questions means that we've arrived somewhere really, really important. And all I can do is encourage those conversations to be had. I will always try and cast as close as I can while also being financed, um, you know, in the movies that I make. And, um, and there are certain situations that I just wouldn't even go near, you know, if I, if, I couldn't, if I couldn't cast, you know, someone from the very specific experience, I just wouldn't. But it's, it's, it's a terrible balance that we're in and we're, we're caught in this situation because there isn't enough diversity. When there is enough diversity, I think these, these conversations will become less loaded and less painful because 
you know, it will be less difficult for people that look like, I'm really sorry, I can't see you. Um, but I'm gonna, I'm just gonna assume rightly or wrongly that you're a black female, but more, yes, yeah. more, more, <laughs> yeah, is that right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. More people that look like, um, me and you being able to tell our stories and, you know, I want a situation. I think about, for instance, Spielberg and the color purple, which is still one of my all time favorite movies and a really important movie. And I know that without that movie, I wouldn't have been able to tell Bell, make the film Bell. I know that what that film did in many ways was show or um, financiers that you could put a black female at the center of a story and that that story could resonate with all kinds of people and that people would go to the cinemas, to the movie theaters and would watch that movie. And so I think about that and I think to myself, but I want us to get to a place where um, Spielberg makes his version of a movie with a black woman at the center and I make my version and you guys get to choose in the movie theater which one you want to go and see and which one you think is most authentic. We don't even have that situation at the moment. I mean, we're barely there with that situation. So um, we just have to keep talking. We have to keep having these conversations and we have to, you know, I've heard good arguments on both sides and I take each, each project as it comes for myself you know a step at a time because it's these are hard decisions often to make i hope that's useful yes thank you so much and thank you for your work thank you thank you lizzie hello hello um yes mine's quite a specific question um how as a writer i guess particularly as a writer who was once an actor because that's what I'm becoming I'm an actress and I've now started writing do you get around uh roadblocks and or ruts that you find yourself in in the creative process and the reason why I'm asking this is um my debut play which was just like the light and joy of my life for a year and a half um got accepted to the park and I wish I could say that Corona was the reason why it didn't get programmed but it was actually because we didn't have enough money that didn't get programmed and what was the light and joy has just become this sort of burden on my back that I have sort of been sitting under for months now not really knowing what to do next. So is that when you say roadblocks and rucks, is that what you mean? That not not creative, not like sort of. Um... Well, both because you know I've been thinking, oh, what if I could play with it, and I haven't had the energy to play with it, and I've been thinking, oh, maybe I should just submit it other places. So it's kind of just like it, it, that. That <laughs> that makes any sense? Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. So I was out uh, to lunch with some friends um, the other day. I'm here in Denmark, and I was I was I was out with some friends, and I was talking to their 13 year old son. Mm. And, um, and he was talking about, you know, the horrible kids at school who, who were the bullies. And, um, and it was really quite heartbreaking to hear in many ways. And one of the things I said to him is, you know, the one, I remember being his age and I remember thinking, I can't wait to grow up and get out into the big wide world because then all this nonsense will stop. And guess what? It doesn't. Yeah. And, and, the rea and it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't, whatever level you're at, it doesn't stop. There are bullies in the workplace, there are bullies at the bus stop, there are bullies everywhere, right? And what I will say to you is what you, what you have experienced is exactly what happens in the industry. Yeah. And it doesn't go away because you become successful. Mm -hmm. And so what you have to do, and you, you know, you're not going to like this, but I'm going to tell you it, you have to grow a hard skin. You've mm -hmm. got to grow a tough skin. My first commissions, so I um, left acting, went to secretarial uh, college, promptly got kicked off of my work experience scheme, 
and um, started writing um, a script to try and get my typing speed up. And to cut a very long story short, that first script that I wrote ended up as a seven script deal at Channel 4. And at the same time, I got a four script deal at the BBC. And I worked on those projects for about three years, draft after draft after draft after draft. And then you want to guess what happened? New commissioning editors came in, in both, um, at both uh, stations and they came in with what we call new brooms. They didn't want to be developing what the previous commissioning editor had been developing. So my projects were swept off the shelves mm -hmm. at, both, um, at both TV stations. And I was kind of where you are. I was kind of like, what have I just done for the last three years? Like I, I thought just by getting the contract, I sort of, this was it. I, I was in the business. I, I could call myself a writer. Mm. And, and there I was in a, a, a roadblock or a ruck, as you might call it. It was tough and it was difficult. But just, just looking back sort of 20 years later, I've had one of those every couple of years I mean they just they just don't don't go away I, I was 12 years trying to get my last film off the ground yes I made other movies in between but I was 12 years off the ground trying to make the movie that should have been my second movie and right as we were about to make it and here's the deal I was walking down the big fat red carpet at the London Film Festival with my film being the opening film of the London Film Festival being the first black person to achieve this and one of my financiers had pulled out a few hours before meaning that uh, sorry had pulled out of my next film a few hours before the film that I was supposed to fly from the London Film Festival to Belgium to shoot we had crew working people whose mortgages were were relying on paying um, um being paid for by the money we were going to pay them for the next three months working on this film and the movie had collapsed. And I was doing all of this press and talking to BBC News and you know, that all of these, you know, microphones were in my face and my movie that had taken me 12 years to get that far had collapsed. To say I felt like throwing up, I felt completely gutted is an understatement. But you know what? I had to keep going as I have all of the times before. And I think that the decision as to whether you let a project go and, or move on to, and move on to the next one, or you stay with the project, has got to be your personal decision. Mm. But with whether, whether you stay or whether you move on, you cannot do either unless you, you grow thick skin and you understand that failure is a part of the success process. That is just the way it works. You have to fail in order to be able to succeed. And you have to know that there is no moment in your life when you're working on these projects that is wasted there is none because you don't know what's coming around the corner and it's always darkest before dawn i truly believe that you don't know whether the next corner you turn is the one where there's this big fat frigging light at the end of the tunnel that says you know what which is what happened to me after those projects were were were, were swept away a year and a half later the bbc came to me and said we've got this slot and we need it filled really quickly do you think you could come up with a drama like we've seen your scripts and we know you write well and could you come up with a drama by september and i think it was like maybe march or maybe even later than that and i was like i can't do all those scripts on my own no you want 10 drafts and i had to get a team of writers to work and we had to i had to storyline them and story art them and then i had to give each of those storylines to a different um writer but can i just tell you what i could not have done it that quickly if I hadn't have had a seven script deal and a four script deal that had eventually collapsed. 
so it's 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 not wasted amazing thank you so much so much for that honesty you're welcome Kristen hi hello what happened to Timothy Timothy where are you make sure you put your mic on yes okay i'll get to um i'll, I'll find no you worries Emma. yeah i can i can christine i can hear you hi hi sorry um i just wondered if you have a favorite casting director and if you work with the same casting director all the time and if so who is it and why i have a favorite one i don't always get to work with him all the time because he's often very busy and, and you know isn't always available but i work with toby well a lot oh, so well casting yeah. toby well casting and i adore him and, and he's, he's brilliant yeah mm. well that was that was all i was curious to know yeah i think toby's wonderful as well he's a lovely guy yeah no thank you for I, a short answer i can get my breath thank you <laughs> no worries i'm just trying to find toby now uh, uh timothy timothy. Oh, timothy timothy my bad oh here I yes. can hear you just about. Hi, Emma. Hi, Timothy. How are you? I'm doing. I'm doing okay. Good. Good. Mm -hmm. Uh, I wanted to ask. Um, you. Hold on. You have worked with some incredible people in, throughout your career, and I was wondering, out of all the actors you've worked with, has there ever been an actor you wanted to work with again in a future project? Oh my God, there are so many actors um, that I want to work with. Um, I adore James Norton, um, and I would love to work with James again. I've worked with um, I've worked with Tom Felton a few times. I adore Tom Felton. I uh, I would love to work with Rosamund Pike again. We just did this thing at the Royal um, the Royal Court a few days ago. Um, I would love to work with Gugu and Barter Roar again. Um, I mean, there are very few actors that I've worked with that I wouldn't want to work with again uh, because, like I said, I only want to work with nice people, and all of them have been great. Penelope Wilton is incredible. Um, Tom Wilkinson. I mean, there are just so many, but there are so many people that I haven't worked with that I'd love to work with. So uh, it is my mission to work with Viola Davis. Um, that hasn't, you know, quite come together yet. Um, there are, um, I would like to work with um, Miss Letitia, as I call her, um, from Black Panther. Um, there, I mean, they're just too, they're just too, there are so many actors. And I also love working with very very new and emerging actors as i was able to do in my first movie um it's finding the structures for which you can return to acting with uh, sorry to working with actors that you've worked with in the past like you know you have to give them the right role and you have to give them a role that they can that they can fly in and not just just say i really love working with him so i'll i'll, I'll have him or i really like working with her so i'll have her so it's always finding the structure that really um will see them fly and see them successful and, and, and see me able to successfully directing them because the, the, the role suits them. So um, I feel blessed and very, very lucky to work with some of the great talent that I've worked with. I, I want to keep doing that and, and, and work with new people too. Okay, thank you. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Caroline. Hi, Emma. Can you hear Hi, me? Hi, Caroline. How are you? Yeah, I can hear you. I'm, do you know what? I'm just going to tell my husband one thing. You might need to plug in that bug, and I might need to put my charger in. 
I don't want to drop out on you guys halfway through. Hi. Hi, I'm so excited. I'm excited. <laughs> I'm all the way in Tanzania and I am so excited to meet you. Oh my God. Okay, I'm going to Golly, don't we love that? Like Tanzania, the United States. Isn't that the coolness? That's why I love Zoom. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, I just sort of trying to keep my thoughts in order. Um, so uh -huh. basically, I saw Belle. It was yeah. a random thing, and I watched it, and I was like, what is this thing? Because in my head, as an actor, I always thought, okay, going back to the past is probably not a possibility for me as, an, as a black woman or mm -hmm, actor. Mm -hmm. And then I saw this thing, and I was like, what is going on? And then there was like a, um, a scene where she's sitting and she's combing her hair and the, the black lady uh, that's working in the house. Mabel. Mm -hmm. And, she, and she, she teaches her how to brush her hair. And I was like, the subtleties of, of, of characters and film, I just, it just blew my mind. And I found out that you direct this film. So like, I need to work with Amma in my lifetime, somehow, somewhere. Um, but I've been working on writing something of my own. And so I'm born in Tanzania, but I've lived kind of a little bit all over the world. And I'm mm -hmm. currently living in London as well. Mm -hmm. And there's something about, I think I, I, I listened to an interview you, you had where you spoke about, you know, how most, most films are made about black people are very famous, they've accomplished something amazing or great. And I always miss the fact that there's no stories about just a normal woman or normal man just living their lives and struggling with things that are very subtle things, you know? Sure. And so I, and I wanted to write a story in, in Tanzania about a girl in Tanzania and, and what happens to her. And uh, I just, there's so much doubt and so much fear that I just can't keep getting to the next step. And I, I know, I don't know where that's coming from, maybe because, you know, just because it's but I mean, I think, like a I mountain. Think, I think that, and you know, that, you know, the answer to this is much the same as the answer I gave earlier, um, which is that, you know, doubt and fear are not going to go away. It, it, no. There's no magic thing that happens one day where you wake up and you go, I feel like I, I you know, unless you have, you know, an illness. Um, there's never any real moment where you go, I just feel I can, I can surmount the world and just, you know, and, and who wants to work with someone that's always like that anyway? The, the key to courage is that you're not courageous if you're not afraid and you move forward. You're courageous if you're afraid and you do it anyway, as the, as the, as the book used yeah. to say. And so it's not, to, to me, it's not that you have to find a way to lose that. To me, it's that you have to find a way to work with that. You have to say, okay, this is part of the process. And every, you know, many people who are creative feel this, but many people who are creative also feel this and move through it and so there are no answers it's hard you know there are no easy answers i should say it's hard work if this is a business in which there will be nobody there to catch you except yourself nobody and so you have to find you have to reach out and find whatever ways you can to grow a hard skin because nobody yeah. looked looks at you know looks at amma and says i'm going to cut her a, 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 a break let me tell you that 
when I made my, when I made Belle, the very film that you're talking about, which, you know, the Lord Mansfield character was utterly based on my father. You know, those moments of subtlety uh, that you talk about, like her doing her hair, um, you know, show, Mabel showing her how to comb her hair. They came from the fact that I always understood the, the idea of um, braiding hair and greasing a scalp and, you know, your mother brushing your hair and then you get old enough to, you know, to braid your mum's hair and all of that as, 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 a, as a kind of symbol of maternal legacy. And, you know, what that scene really shows is that um, this was a maternal legacy that was not left to her because she didn't have her black mother in her life. However, yeah. however, when I um, came to shoot some of the final scenes of that film, my father died hours, hours before I shot those final scenes. So my father died at 11, 10 to 11 at night. I was filming at seven o'clock the next morning. Um, there is nobody there to catch you. There is nobody there to cut you a break. Of course, everybody was sorry, everybody was sad, but we had a budget, we had a film to finish, and I had to finish it. It's just as simple as that. And it, there was no X factor, this is what my father would want, or I'm doing this, my, it was just, this is the business of film. And it, one of the things that got me through was not knowing that my father was gonna die by the beginning, at the beginning of the film and having him die by the end, just randomly on set one day, we all started having conversations um, about losing loved ones while we were filming. And I hadn't lost anybody at that chance. I was shocked by the amount of people that said, yeah, you know, my mum died and I was shooting A, B or C. And, you know, I had two days to go and bury her and then I had to come back and start filming or I didn't have any time off at all. And I remember thinking, you know, the night that my father died, well, you know, all these people who told me their stories, who had no idea that I was about to face this experience, um, if they did it, I have to. Yeah, I, I can't, yeah, I can, I'm not special. I can't have any excuses. And I would say the same. What is special are your stories. What is special is your gaze. But you will not be treated as special in terms of, I can't deliver today because I just feel afraid, or I can't deliver today because I've got, you know, writer's block, or that is the stuff you have to find your own ways to fight through. The thing that consoled me the most was learning that I was not alone. And so that's what I will, that's what I can give to you today is to say, this is a normal part of the process. It's, as I said, you know, failure is a part of the process of success. Feeling stuck is also part of the process. But whether you remain stuck is really up to you. Right. Thank you so much for sharing, Emma. Thank you. I hope that's useful. Definitely. Okay. Emma, I see um, we've, it's been an hour already. Thank you so much, Emma, for doing that. It was wonderful. Thank you all. Thank you all. I hope my tough love was useful. I look forward to seeing some of your projects soon in Great. the future sometime. Brilliant. Thank you, Charlie. I really appreciate it. Thank okay. you, Naya Project.